Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up all, Aaron but not that Aaron here to tell you about Sifpop Writers Room. For the past several years there have been a growing amount of writers for Sifpop.com providing best ever challenges, movie reviews, themes, legacies, connections, and so much more. Sifpop Writers Room is where that all comes together, giving a voice to those words that you read. And on the show, every week is excellent getting to chat such a wide variety of movies with a wide variety of movie lovers and I'm really having a lot of fun with the show and I just think that you would too. So check out Sifpop Writers Room wherever you listen to your podcast and we'll see you over there. Just remember to knock first. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, a podcast that just wants to have a nice evening before the world explodes, it's Sifpa. Welcome to Sif Pop Weekly, streaming live most Saturday mornings or Friday evenings, <laughs> or available to download later in your podcast feed, unless of course you're a patron. Bitches get perks. Patrons get those perks. Vegas. I'm your host, Aaron Dicer, and his punch is equal to 10 nuclear bombs and his cat can devour whole armies. It's Andrew Ormsby, ladies and gentlemen. It's true. Ahoy. Each week we'll chat about movies, television, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. Don't ruin the verbal reality, Andrew. Embrace the verbal reality. (laughs) Yes, and. (laughs) Yes, and. That's right. And please welcome our guest this week. We all have our secrets. We just didn't get to his yet. It's Jonathan Paula. Woo! So mysterious. So mysterious. <laughs> welcome. Welcome back, uh, my friend. Glad to be back. Uh, glad to be back and glad to be talking about two of my most favorite franchises, Bond and Marvel. So yeah. Should be, should oh, be you're a Bond fun. guy too? Yeah. Oh, big time. Yeah. Huge oh, big time. This is going to be fun. This I, re- I, I think I requested this, uh, this slot, this mm-hmm. episode, months and months back mm-hmm. and- uh, despite my recent move and, and new uh, digs here, uh, I made it work because I wanted to be here. Yeah. Even though it, it was quite a bit of work to get the office and microphone and camera set up in time. Yeah. For our live <laughs> audience and uh, you know podcast listeners, of course, you can listen to this whenever it, you want. Thanks for joining us on a Friday evening record. I have stuff going on this weekend that uh, kind of disabled the Saturday morning thing, which we've been enjoying. Uh, well, I've been enjoying. Andrew has <laughs> done done his best to enjoy. Uh, yes, and. <laughs> that's right. Yes, Embrace and. the verbal reality. Uh, so thank yeah. you for that. And yeah, Jonathan, thank you for uh, for joining us from the new place, man. Um, yeah. You know, I know you're just getting moved in. I know how hectic and crazy that can be. Um, and so we appreciate uh, appreciate you giving it took, me, it took time. me two full days to figure out how to get internet on the third floor of this building. <laughs> it was just like I know there's cables in the walls, but how do I find them? How do I figure out what's interrupting them? Long story short, I was in a crawl space and I had to disconnect a power booster that interferes with the uh, coax over mm-hmm. the Ethernet over coax adapters that I have. So yeah. it was just 
Yeah. A lot of long, a lot of long days. A lot of fun. I, I recommend running a cable all the way from your neighbor's house. <laughs> mm-hmm. It can work. It can work. I've that seen could, that. That could work. I've seen that in movies. I recommend uh, getting a really clingy cable guy uh, who will get you all the channels. Oh uh, uh, yes, yes. Know, just a uh, re- just really stop recommending it. No one, no one wants to see that movie. It bombed thirty years ago. <laughs> it's still I think, good. I it's think, still good. I think John's got a little bit of a Matthew Broderick thing going. So yeah, yeah. Work. He's got the Broderick. I sure. think that's a compliment. Yes, I'll take absolutely, hundred percent. Hey, 100%. you're Mueller. Uh, All right, guys, we have... We got stuff. We got stuff to get to. We are going to do, of course, a buried treasure. Our best ever challenge is... I didn't quite want to make it a like a sift sort like we've done before because that would be way too humongous a job for all of us to agree on the proper ranking of all the Bond movies. So instead, we're going to do Bond as a best ever challenge and talk about our favorite uh, Bond movies, um, top five. So we'll do that for the best ever challenge. I, I think that is a very fair compromise. <laughs> yeah, 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 I think so. Uh, and we're going to review the full season of What If from Disney+. Plus. You may remember uh, a few weeks back, we reviewed kind of about the first first half of the season and uh, we're going to get to the second uh half and during that section now question on that real quick sure. will we be doing spoilers yeah. for that show yes. in this po- podcast proper yes that okay. is just so you're aware when we review television we do spoil it um just because it's yeah. hard to know where everybody is what they've seen now for just mentioning tv on like a buried treasure or something like that. We won't spoil anything from it. We'll just, you know, tell you some thoughts on it. But it's a little hard to talk about uh, full seasons of TV without getting into some spoilers. Um, so that we're not, we're <coughs> not going to worry about that too much. Um, we will be spoiling. Appreciate that. the clarification because I was actually not sure right. where we were going to stand. Right. On it, so that's great. Yeah, and then uh, yeah. we will not be spoiling uh, during the show. Uh, no time to die. We'll be reviewing that as well. However, we, I'm sure. We will be doing a SIF spoil on that. Yeah. There are some things we need to talk about. So uh, yeah. you can stay tuned for that in your feed. So let's kick it off and talk about No Time to Die. We used to be able to get into a room with the enemy. Now they're just floating in the ether. When her secret finds its way out, it'll be the death of you. Oh my God. Target enough people. And the people become the weapon. Who is he? James, you don't know what this is. James Bond is enjoying a tranquil life in Jamaica after leaving active service. However, his peace is short-lived as his old CIA friend, Felix Leiter, shows up and asks for help. The mission to rescue a kidnapped scientist turns out to be far more treacherous than expected, leading Bond on the trail of a mysterious villain, villain who's armed with a dangerous new technology. Uh, no Time to Die brings back Daniel Craig for his final Bond movie. Uh, thought his last one was going to be his final. They figured out a way to trick him into doing one more, and so we get uh, No Time to Die. It has been delayed for 18 months Ish because of it the f- pandemic. It feels like even longer. It really does. It, it's crazy because this is the one. I feel like this is the one that I was waiting for because it it was like it seemed to me it was the first one. I could be not. It probably literally isn't the first one, but I feel like it was like the first big one that was like, no, we're moving and we're moving a long way away. And then I think there was another movement. So this is the one I've kind of been like, okay, this kind of started it off. So maybe movies are back. Box office seems to indicate 
movies are back. They're certainly making money. Um, so anyhow, uh, Rami Malek uh, uh, steps in as uh, Lucifer Satan. That's actually not the name, but it's close enough. <laughs> I wish I wish I had subtitles for some of the proper nouns in this movie because a lot of the names, Obenhauser or something, I couldn't yep. Yep. make out what people were saying or who they were referring to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A, a lot of characters are introduced, a lot of complicated surnames. Yeah. Not much of that actually matters. You just kind of go along for the ride like most Bond films. Speaking yeah, in, 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 speaking in of, reference to the – Go ahead. Go ahead. You first. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to finish the interview. <laughs> go ahead. I was going to say in, in reference to the delay, uh, the six years we had between No Time to Die and Spectre, I believe, is the longest gap between Bond films – Excluding when we, we were looking for a new actor between Dalton and Brosnan. And even then, I think it was five and a half Correct. years. Correct. This is the longest. This is the longest yeah. since uh, the very first Bond movie uh, that's gone between Bond movies. So, And people people might forget, like, in the, is Sean Connery did five in five years. He did, mm-hmm. His first five were in five years. And Roger Moore did seven in 13 years. Like, they used to crank these out every 18 to 24 months. And mm-hmm. now it's like we, we've only gotten three in the last nine years. Yeah. Uh, I I hope they speed up. I hope they get right back on well, the horse and we get twenty six. I hope there isn't another you know giant pandemic on the horizon or the extension of this yes. one or whatever the case that may be. be. So yeah, uh, I also wanted to mention before we get into the review, uh, a lot of people coming back. Uh, Ray Fiennes coming back as M. Um, you've got uh, Jeffrey Wright as Felix Leiter, Ben uh, Wishaw as Q. Um, and then uh, some other. I think Christoph Waltz is Naomi, back. Naomi Harris, Jeff yep, Wright, yeah, um, Leah, Leah Sado. Yeah, Billy Magnuson. Billy Magnus, Magnuson is in this. Uh, he's on a. I, I will say this is, uh, with the notable exception of perhaps the most recent Bond one, Spectre. This is the most um, serialized story we've ever gotten, and it's the most. Uh, sequel-ish a Bond movie has ever felt. Yeah, I think that's uh, right. And I, and I think, have you not, had you not seen the earlier four Daniel Craig movies, especially, say, Casino Royale and Spectre, I think you would feel a little lost here. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, this this builds very heavily on the foundation set of the previous four pictures uh, to a degree that we've never seen in Bond before. Like, they've almost always been very episodic, standalone installments. Yeah. And this one wasn't, for better or worse. I think... In some cases, that helps. You get like deeper emotional connections and longer character arcs. But on the other hand, it's sort of hobbled by that sort of requirement of having all this extra backstory you have to have known beforehand rather than just a simple action film. Well, let's kick it off with liked it, loved it, didn't like it, hated it, or it was just okay. Uh, John, what do you think? I really liked it. Low side of loved it, even. Low side of loved it, high side of liked it. Uh, Andrew? I'll commit to loved it. Nice. Ooh, all right. Nice. I thought I was going on a limb there, but I guess not. Mm-mm. Aaron, perfect I will, time to take a drink. <laughs> I will. I will commit to uh, high side of liked it. Um, all right, great. Uh, I, I had a good time. I was. I was boarding and just liked it. High side of liked it, and I'll go ahead and commit to to high side of liked it. Obviously, you two are going to say such nice things about it. I'm sure you'll convince me uh, to to stay there. Um, <laughs> Andrew, I think uh, you were the most solid loved it, so why don't you kick us off? What did you love about this I, movie? I, if, if I'm honest, I wasn't expecting you to be the uh, uh, on the point position oh, really? on that. But uh, yeah, lead us <laughs> off. I'm curious to hear what you have to say. Well, you kind of uh, touched on my main pro for this movie already, and that is the... Uh, can you know the consecutive story arc that's been going on throughout all these Daniel Craig movies and the fact that... It's something that I think Bond 
the Bond franchise has been missing, and that stakes. And by that, I mean when you have, you know, you can have a a recurring cast, but whenever you there's there's no sense of dread, you know. But for some reason, it, it may have just been a combination of Daniel Craig's last one or the amazing directorial eye of Kerry Fukunaga that you actually feel a sense of dread and suspense in this. Also, I don't know if the fact that... And maybe this is what I thought was so different. From every Bond I can remember, it's always been... Bond versus the bad guy. This one, it feels like the bad guy takes a secondary or even tertiary uh, position to the the I guess you would say the uh, the weapon or whatever you know the big bad world ending thing you know, mm-hmm. which I thought the big bad world ending thing in this one was really interesting. It reminded me a lot, I don't know if you guys ever played Siphon Filter. When you, I know, Aaron, you didn't, but uh, it was an old uh, original PlayStation game, and it reminded me a lot of that. And I, I thought, man, this is a really fun concept with interesting ramifications, not only for the world, but for our, our cast, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that that was my biggest thing I loved about this movie was, oh, there's an actual sense of danger and worry that I feel in this. I I completely agree. I think because of the compounding sort of character building we've seen over the last five movies, uh, no time that I had, I think the most stakes, certainly emotionally that any bond movie has ever had. Oh yeah. Um, And it definitely felt like there were real consequences here and it didn't feel as sort of superhero video gamey as say like any of Brosnan's movies. Uh, this this one felt a lot more grounded, and in some cases, I wish they uh, sort of injected the film with a little bit more levity. But that being said, if you like a more serious, dour, uh, like no fun experience, uh, this had great <laughs> oh, action in it. I totally I mean, it's not, disagree. It's not, I think, I, I I think, think this is the funniest yeah. Craig movie. I think this is the, really yeah. I laughed a lot in this movie. No, wow. Casino Royale is the funniest. Okay. All right, I I just yeah. I whatever maybe it's just maybe just Spectre was so like humorless to me like maybe yeah, do it. maybe that's what I'm remembering but I laughed a lot in this I thought there was a really good that was one of my pros I thought there was a really oh, good sense of humor that's here, so interesting so. to hear I think I laughed literally one time <laughs> uh, like bonds bonds aren't they're not a comedy movie but I I was definitely hoping it uh, it would be a little bit more light but there's, there's a lot some, of heavy stuff in here yeah and that and not just that's not to say the heavy stuff didn't work. Um, just Bond's usually a little bit more balanced towards maybe like the funnier and cheekier side. Um, so I'm trying. I don't. I don't necessarily want to spoil moments for people. So I'll just kind of talk around. Maybe just one. Maybe sure. just one. But there's a moment where there's like, uh, who's going to take a certain name? And there, the, there just looks. The, oh the, gosh. There's, there's a real subtlety <laughs> to a lot of the looks and the sounds and the yeah. the O oh, that's going on here. That may be a little dry, but it's really funny. There's there's another uh, moment I specifically think of. Um, I can't I can't talk does around it, that one. Does but... it deal with a hairpiece? <laughs> uh, no, I laughed a lot at that. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm just uh, yeah, I think this is really funny. I just I just remember a it lot is a just, funny movie. Just thinking, and it's not like it's not it's not the usual 
way that Bond tries to be funny with like the one-liners and the you know the after somebody is dead and then the the pun about how they died. Although that is here. One of there is there's one there's one great one that <laughs> was I, that one I think was, was so my one ins- laugh of the night. <laughs> it was so cheesy and pure Bond. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Going off what you said, Aaron is uh, I think the reason why it doesn't feel like that is because this doesn't really feel like Bond. He's matured, I guess you yes. could say, from yes. the uh, the you know womanizing Devonair, you know. Uh, cheeky fellow mm-hmm. but uh yeah i, I yeah, think he's... for for all the baggage that comes with that like this is perhaps the biggest departure from like the standard template that we've established over the last 50 whatever years uh or is it 60 at this point <laughs> uh he's been around for a long time 57 mm-hmm. yeah, something a hot years. minute um yeah and for better or worse i think there's definitely i i like that he is not like a cheeky bastard who has absolutely no feeling at all. Like he's mm-hmm. he's more grounded, and I think that makes for a more compelling and more interesting protagonist. Uh, but at the same time, if you grew up loving Roger Moore's films, this feels like the absolute complete tonal opposite. Uh, one yeah. of my one of my friends is a huge uh, Bond fan, uh, J- Jonathan, who's been on this show. Different uh, John, who's been on this show a few times, uh, has brought up f- many times how Bond really does alternate between grounded and jokey. You know, like you go from Connery, who feels a little, well, at least the beginning felt a little more grounded. And then you go into, um, I, I mean, aside from Lazabee, who was just kind of a, a one-off or whatever. But at least the last ones, you go from Moore, who's, you know, hilarious, to uh, Dalton, who's grounded. In fact, I just watched the Dalton movies recently, and they are so prototype Daniel Craig Bond. Like, it, you could Hell almost yeah. see Daniel Craig in the roles in the in those movies. Um, and then you go back to um, Pierce Brosnan, who's a little more jokey, and and so it's it's been interest. It's interesting how it's like. So does that mean our next Bond is a little more cheeky? You know, is a little more funny? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I know we were doing a review of this movie, but to, if we're going to broaden it, you know, to talk about the Daniel Craig era, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you you brought up Timothy Dalton, and it's funny because the reason why he only did two movies is and they didn't want him back is because his movies were so gritty and mm-hmm. you know not what what had been the norm and for them to go back to that style of rough roughness in the Daniel Craig and like okay it didn't work the first time can we get it right and i going from the uh from Casino Royale all the way to this one, they got it right. I mean, yeah, he had two bad. I'll just go ahead and say he had two bad Bond movies, but he had three great ones, like three some of the best Bond movies. You know. Well, we will I go mean, more into that in we'll, our. We'll get into that in later our, in our best ever challenge. Yeah, but, uh, and and just just to sort of uh, put a point on it, Quantum of Solace and Spectre are the bad ones. Yes. <laughs> just yes. to be clear. Just, just, no, just to no, be clear. No, uh, Skyfall and Casino Royale are garbage. No, just terrible. No. Uh, yeah. You guys mentioned uh, that this this move, the serialization of this movie, and I wanted to kind of touch back on that because uh, I'm going to bring up a, a controversial touchstone movie that gives everybody all sorts of uh, feelings uh, one way or an, uh, another. Two people are right on those feelings on this podcast. One is wrong. 
Oh uh, God, Star Wars! <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to. How do we about- walk into this every week? <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to mention Last Jedi because of this. If you believe Last Jedi was a terrible move for the Star Wars universe, like if it went the wrong direction, and then J.J. Sure. Abrams came in and was like, "Okay, how do I fix this?" J.J. Abrams, you can feel it in Rise of Skywalker, undoing things, right? Like undoing things that happened in Last Jedi, trying to do his own thing. This is almost a good version of that. This is almost like, because the way Spectre is handled in this, I think it's it's clear it was like, let's kind of get that out of, you know, let's kind of get to where we want to go in this movie by dealing with that. But it's integrated into the plot really nicely, I thought. Like, it takes... What was kind yeah, of I, I, a mess I totally see what you're describing. And it's, sanitizes it's sort of, it somehow. Right. I was going to say it's sort of like a, a retcon, by sanit- sanitization by retconning mm-hmm. what sort of came before. They, all these things established, all these loose threads that they left open ended in the last few movies. This picture is like, let's just start closing loops and closing doors left and right and focus on what's actually important. Focus mm-hmm. on Bond and his personal struggle. And I think sort of codifying and narrowing the focus of the movie from the first act by the end of the movie, it it really helps things succeed in a way that could have easily ballooned in the wrong direction where they just keep like there. We just keep every door as a new villain. It's like, let's, let's just actually start paring down the threats and the problems and the world ending, whatever, and just focus on like one really personal, one specific issue. Uh, And Craig, I honestly might be his best performance of not only his Bond career, but his career career. Um, I thought he was so good in this, and they finally give him some like meaty, uh, like drama to kind of work through. It wasn't just uh, parkour and running and car chases. <laughs> it was it was like some legitimate acting chops from him, mm-hmm. uh, and he did s- solid solid work here. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Uh, you bring up the villain, uh, probably my least favorite part of the movie. I don't know how it was yeah. for you guys. I, I really didn't, I just didn't connect to the villain enough. And honestly, this movie is long. It's two hours and 43 minutes. Whether or not you feel its length, it kind of depends on the experience you're having. Um, but for me, the only reason I felt how long this movie was is because when it was a Rami scene, when Rami was with somebody, I just wasn't all that invested like in his thing. So I, I just wondered how that experience was for you guys. If, if the villain worked for you, if it was, um, you know. The performance worked. The character didn't. Yeah, I think, I think that's Rami right. is doing some interesting, you know, character choices. Like, yeah. to, like to realize this character. He's, I wish they would have, you know, spent the time to, you know, fully realize this character. But I think this is... One of the rare instances, and maybe, John, you're another Bond guy. You can help me on this. It's one of the few instances where the the big world-ending thing outshines the villain. Yeah. And you, the, you the other one on. that comes to mind is um, uh, The Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, I forget the, the actor's name. Oh, He's yeah. German guy. But I think and the parallel between him and Rami Malek's character is that Bond has no prior relationship to this villain and only meets him in the third act for the first time. Like, their yeah. first and last meeting happened within an hour of each other. And I think you don't establish any relationship, any adversarial connection between them. So when Bond finally shows up to stop him, it's like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. I need to stop you. Like, there's absolutely no tension there because they have no history. Whereas some of the best Bond villains, uh, like Alec 
Trevelyan and, and Goldeneye, it's like that used to be his partner, that used to be his friend, and he betrayed him. Then he comes back at the end of the movie, we think he's been dead the whole time. Like, that's a huge moment, and it works so well. Same thing with uh, Goldfinger, where, like, the whole movie, they have this sort of Goldfinger. sparring, this contentious... They have this contentious, playful relationship. Bond escapes from him earlier and has to go back. This movie, we don't we don't get any of that until Rami Malek, I think, shows up like 100 minutes into this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a big that reason his, why it well, doesn't hit, work. There's no well, relationship. I think the te- henchman te- Cyclops. Just, oh, go ahead. I'm going to um actually you just a little bit. Technically, <laughs> he's in it right from the beginning. But yes, yes. but I understand what you're saying. Yeah. The, the heart of what you say is yeah. correct. Yeah, his henchman has more of a... Yeah, uh, exactly. Cyclops has more of a cantankerous relationship with Bond throughout mm-hmm. the movie than he does. Well, it's um, not even his... I mean, it is, but I mean... it's He's, he's working for someone else. Right, he's yeah. Henchman. He starts... At least our understanding of him starts as working for someone else. So, yeah. Yeah. Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, what did you guys think of uh, Lashana? Is it... I want to make sure it's Lynch, right? Lashana Lynch, yeah. Fantastic. I thought breath of fresh air for the franchise to yeah. see a, a formidable female person of color working as a counterpart to Bond was just great to see. Especially in I the sort her. of it's it's a very brief subversion, and I think everyone's going to see it coming, so I don't mind too much spoiling it. But when we first meet her, Bond, I think mistakenly thinks she might just be like you know a bar fly that he's going to pick up and take home, and then it's like, oh wait a minute, actually. Um, she can yeah. she can fire a gun and take me out anytime she wants to. Mm-hmm. Did, is is it spoilerish to talk about her her role in the movie? I don't. I mean, it depends. I, on I didn't how, watch any trailers, so I don't. know Yeah, it what depends on how in revealed. depth you want to okay. get. Um, uh, you just reminded me of another hilarious line in the movie, though. Uh, when he's when he says, um, "That's not the the first, first thing I thought you were." See, that's what I was talking about with the hair. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, what I was yeah, talking yeah. about with the hair. I'm like, that's not the first thing I thought you'd yeah. yeah, I was like, oh, I love that line. Yeah. I, I thought they had throw... a great relationship. There was that sort of like playful uh, allies who be friends who become allies or enemies who become allies. There was a little, a, a good little sort of subplot between their two characters that I thought really worked. Uh, I would yeah. not mind seeing more of this character in future films. Oh, I imagine, uh, I imagine Amazon is, you know, uh, salivating oh, over go. the idea of doing a, a TV show with uh, with her. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think it would do well. I think uh, the world is jonesing for like a good badass female spy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, this is also one of the other movies where you have a, a returning love interest. Mm-hmm. You know, Leah Sado's character. Um. I'm gonna start. Can can I move into cons? Is that our well? Right? I already talked about the villain being my con. So okay. yeah, yeah, we're good. I think that you know, obviously, I know why it won't work. But I think that when it comes to love interest for Bond, especially Daniel Craig, I think that Vesper totally outshines, and she was only in one movie. Yeah, you know. To where and I, I think, I think that is that's more of a failing, I think, in my opinion, on Spectre than this movie, because it was sort of Spectre's responsibility to build up this relationship yeah. between Craig and Sado. And in the beginning of this movie, we're just supposed to assume, yes, they're already in love. They already have a relationship. And we hope you bought into that in the last movie, because this movie's yeah. not going to waste any time setting that back up. We're just already at relationship love. Yeah. And you have to buy it. And, and, and it's and Spectre didn't do that. So I still feel like this feels kind of unearned. Uh, and yeah, yeah. Uh, completely right. Uh, Vesper, a- Ava Green's character in Casino Royale was yeah. infinitely more uh, dynamic as a relationship with him. 
But if we, this is going to be a, a a con, but it's actually a a hidden pro. Okay. Uh, speaking of Bond girls, Anya Day Armas's character was so fun, but She's she great. wasn't in the movie enough. Like I was like, oh, I wanted more of her. She was so good. I, I was really uh, hoping and expecting that would be just like, oh, I'll see you in a minute, and we would see her again. Yeah, um, and yeah, her role is very brief, almost like a walk on. Kind yeah. of single scene I was just, moment, but she's good in it. Though. I was, was waiting. A lot of fun. I was waiting for Bond to like ask her if she was a double agent, and for her to to get sick and throw up in a vase or something because she has trouble lying. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was waiting for that. Uh, I think we, we we haven't talked yet about uh, the action itself, um, and this is a Bond movie. I think first and foremost, do they nail? The big set pieces, the action, the fist fights, the car chases. Uh, yes, unequivocally. 100%. Yeah, 100% yes. I Especially that first scene. The scene in, oh, I was going to go with the scene in Norway. Yeah, one, that one's great too. In the but woods. man, that first scene owned me. Um, for, when, when you say first scene, you're talking about the cold open or the. No, not after the cold the... open. I'm talking about from the gravesite uh, on. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. Which I think is still before the title sequence. The, the, mm-hmm. Everything before the title is like yeah. a 20 minutes. Great title sequence, too. Oh, it's great. Bond always, yeah. they always have really inventive, and they're one of the last bastions in Hollywood that are still doing the title mm-hmm. sequence. Uh, a YouTuber whom I, I, I love and appreciate, Patrick Willems. Mm-hmm. Uh, just did a video this week on like the art of the dying title sequence. Yeah, and opening titles we we don't really get them anymore, and and they've fallen out of favor. You don't even see the title of most movies until the credits now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. I love that Bond still does it, and they do it big with like a lot of fancy graphics and inventive but imagery, guns making one... DNA strands. It was super yeah. cool. But this one wasn't hypersexualized. No, no, this it wasn't. opening credit scene. Yeah. There was no like a silhouetted naked women everywhere or anything like that, <laughs> yeah. which is in every single you know, every, almost all of them. They're always silhouetted. Uh, when naked we get women to uh, guns, yeah. When <laughs> we get to uh, spoilers, I got something to talk about for that opening credit scene. Oh, right. I also Fair did enough. appreciate quickly um, some of the callbacks, both musically, yes. and, and and images and pictures and paintings on walls uh, to older characters and older movies, uh, which was fantastic. Can we talk about uh, some of that yeah. stuff? Because I am coming. I don't, off... I don't think any of that's really spoilery. No, 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 no. no. I don't think so. Um, you know, those are those are Easter eggs that you're either gonna yeah. you know kind of see or not. Um, and uh, Judy Dench painting. Yeah, I, I loved the painting of Bernard Lee because everyone's gonna see the Judy Dench one. But in the mm-hmm. next shot, there's a picture of Bernard Lee who played the original M in the yeah. '60s and '70s. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. Just to kind of have a nod to him, because uh, I think he played the part longer than anyone. He was in like twelve or thirteen movies. I just thought this movie was very clever about its Easter eggs. I just thought it was very—it yes. ne- they weren't so much in your face that you had to notice them. Um, as somebody who, in the last four months, has watched every single uh, Bond movie uh, up, for the first time, or for the first time. Re- uh, oh, really? Up okay. until because I started with Pierce Brosnan's first movie. I started with Gold. Uh, no. Goldeneye. Yeah, Goldeneye was his first one. I started yeah. with Goldeneye, and I've watched since then. I hadn't watched any of them before then. Uh, and in yeah, the yeah. last uh, you know, five or six months, I've watched all of them up until that point. The, it's just peppered with these echoes of the older yeah. movies. And sometimes it's it has like stuff like he turns down a tunnel to see if somebody's coming and points his gun, and it's like it's the I intro. And it was so cool. It was that. just like a natural... You know, uh, visual framing device of oh, that's the gun barrel. Yeah, yeah. 
And it's just a quick little. Yeah, it's just quick. It's not in your face. It. My favorite, though, my absolute favorite, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get the the name of the movie incorrect, and I apologize. But the only reason on I, Her Majesty's Secret Service. No, I don't think so. Um, I I fell in love with a song by an artist named Robbie Williams called Millennium. Uh, just yeah. used to play it all the time. Did not realize that, that, that is a uh, that is a sample of From Russia with Love, the second film. Okay, is That's that what the it is? Second from, Bond film from Russia with Love. I knew it was yeah. one of the older ones because then when I was watching the older ones, I was like, "Oh, that's the that's the the hook from Millennium." Yeah. Like you know, it's yeah, that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was like, "Oh, that's where that comes from." There is a moment in this movie where they echo that theme in such a beautiful way. Um, I I you know what? I think it's I think it's you you only live twice. Is that one of the movies you own? It, yeah. it, yes, it is. It is the sixth one. Yes, I think that's the one it's in. I think that's the one that okay. theme is in from Millennium. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But the reason the reason I I wondered about that is because like, are they saying stuff with these like like Easter eggs? And I don't know. I was the, just really I was really um, the the big impressed. thing I really dug, and it's and it's thankfully paid off in the in the credits in full, uh, is the repurposing and the sort of reworking of the. The musical eight motifs from On Her Majesty's Secret Service, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. all, all the time in the world, which I think is a Louis Armstrong song he wrote for Lazenby, Lazenby's only picture uh, in '67, and it's a beautiful song. I think it was the I think it was actually the title theme to On Her Majesty's Secret Service, and they kind of weave it in here and there as almost like a romantic ballad undercurrent to some of the scenes with Bond and Sado, and it worked so well to kind of call back like, hey, this is a, this is a, we already have like the love theme in this franchise. Like, let's just bring that forward 40 years and use it again. And you kind of trade on the credibility that's already been earned by another older movie. And it works. It's sort of like shorthand cribbing of your own material. Like, we already have an established love theme for, for Bond. Mm-hmm. If he's in love again, let's just borrow that exact thing. And I thought it really worked. So I'm going to hold yeah. on the rest of my thoughts for spoilers. I didn't realize how my thoughts were transitioning into spoilers. So I apologize if anybody made that connection. Don't try. Just forget it uh, if you don't want to. <laughs> Anyhow, I, I, will, I will talk more about that uh, in spoilers. But I did I did really appreciate those echoes and those themes. I thought that was really cool. For sure. So, yeah. Um. And then I had one more thing to talk about that we'll talk about further yeah. spoilers. So this will be my one last thing. And then you guys can say if you've got anything else you want to. But yeah. this is kind of the only other thing I wanted to hit. Um, perfect ending. Perfect. Perfect. And I'll go more more into that in, in uh, spoilers. But I just think this movie is I have perfectly. not been able to stop thinking about it. Yeah. I It's just perfectly shot. It's gorgeous. It's incredible. It's thematically perfect. Uh, I have... Uh, no notes. When you when you say ending, you mean like the last ten minutes or like the last shot? Uh, I mean the or last like ten the minutes uh, is yeah. what I okay. mean. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, I will say, sort of echoing your parallel earlier to the Last Jedi, uh, uh, this argument falls apart. I think because um, uh, Andrew, you liked it, but um, uh, I will say that No Time to Die makes some very big, bold choices and departures from the template I mentioned earlier. And I think if you are on board with those choices, you're going to really appreciate this. But if you're like, that's not what Bond would do. That's not my Bond. Like, I, this, would, this would never happen to the other guy. I think um, you might be a little alienated. Um, and certainly my other big con besides Rami Malek would be uh, the length. It definitely, it's the longest Bond movie uh, by, by a considerable margin. 
I didn't feel I think it. it's I I didn't necessarily feel it, but I looking back, I'm like they probably could have trimmed ten minutes here, five minutes there. Um, I I I really love savoring a good cinematic sit down in the theater experience, but I think other people might be like, all right, this is this is a little long in the tooth, especially when all the best stuff doesn't really happen until sort of the very very end, and there's some stuff in the middle that you probably could have pared down. One thing I was surprised about while watching uh, all the older Bond movies is that it got to a point where every single Bond movie I just noticed was two hours and ten minutes long. <laughs> I was just like, wait. They is, are very consistent. Is, I'm like, is this like a – like a they have a checklist and in one of them is they have to be exactly two hours and ten minutes long? Well, when you amazing. kind of follow the same formula over yeah. and over again, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, did you have one last thing? No post-credit scene. There you go. There you go. Uh, all right, so that is uh, No Time to Die. I believe it is in theaters only right now, and um, I think that is a recommend from all three of us. Uh, really For fun sure. time. Always, always. There's always some fun and coolness right around the corner. This is this is pop movie making, and considering Bond kind of invented pop movie making uh, in many ways, uh, that that makes a lot of sense. So go check it out. Yeah, I know you mentioned you only got into it a few months ago. Um, I've been a Bond diehard since I was probably too young to watch them. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably around the time GoldenEye came out when I was like nine. Uh, and I instantly bought all the VHS tapes. I'd watch the TNT marathons every December. Uh, and they were like the watered down, you know, aspect ratio cropped versions with commercials in it. But I would stay up late on school nights to watch every one of these movies. And I don't know, there's something, the nostalgia about this franchise and to see it live this long and stay this relevant is just so great. Yeah. I just yeah. wanted to share that. All right. Let's uh let's move on then. Let's chat a little bit about what if. Where you wanna be? That's the question, isn't it? Every universe is different. Each one unique. Slow down a little bit. There's a few people in the room that don't understand. Not me. I I get it. Reimagining noteworthy events in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and creating a multiverse of infinite possibilities. What If from Marvel Studios has finished its first season. A run of nine episodes uh, that was supposed to be ten episodes. And we'll talk about that here in a second. Um, it takes characters you, you know and love from the MCU and says, yeah, but what about that individual from a different universe? What would that have looked like? Uh, it ties them together um, through The Watcher. Ties the episodes together through a character called The Watcher, which I believe is true to the comics. I believe The Watcher is in the comics as well. Um, yep. And What If is a comic uh, series. So uh, got through all nine episodes. I will say before we go any further, again, we will be spoiling this TV show. It's hard to talk about yes. a full season of television without that. Um, so please know all the way through, we're not going to worry about spoilers here. If this is a show you want to watch unspoiled, <coughs> uh, you'll need to jump ahead 20 minutes probably, something like that. So um so anyhow, did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? First full season of What If, Andrew. I liked it. Yeah, just that, liked sounds, it. that sounds like uh, bordering on low side of liked it. That sounds like, yeah, like yeah. It. yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, you, you added a little exhale of air. Like, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, John, what about you? 
I I started off with a, with a similar exhale of eh, whatever. <laughs> um, the last few episodes, I think, definitely kind of won me over, and there's a big reason for that. Um, but I I would say like yeah, liked it maybe maybe closer to the high side. I liked it. It's interesting for me to answer this question because this was the Marvel show I was looking forward to the most. I had huge expectations for this. Uh, I don't believe it met those expectations. I don't know that it could have, um, honestly, yeah. you know, because I was imagining much more fun in my mind than I feel like I was given. Now, is there fun stuff that, here? Yes, yeah. there's fun stuff here. And so I think I'm going to land on low side of liked it, um, if not high side of just okay. But uh, but a lot of that I know is my expectations, which well, isn't, that, isn't I, fair. I to changed show. my vote. I forgot just okay was an option. I'm going with that. <laughs> we're all right in that. Uh, okay. We're all in that kind of umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. I. It's interesting, right? Because I'm kind of dealing with what you're dealing with, uh, John. Which is, it gets to the last few episodes and turns the anthology into a connected anthology, yes. um, or if you want to be technical about it not an anthology <laughs> like yeah <laughs> so yeah right so that, it, that's it's it's sort of a i mean that might be the big twist and that's probably the big spoil of this discussion is right. that the first eight episodes are episodic anthologies each one is a completely standalone universe uh literally and figuratively and then the ninth one throws you a curveball it's like wait a minute what if there was a threat that endangered all of the previous eight universes mm -hmm. and we had to put together a team of, let's say, Guardians to then save the different universes. The multiverse. And, like a Guardians and, of the multi Multiverse, right. as it were. Something yes. something exactly like that, for example. <laughs> um, I and like that, that. You should coin that. <laughs> and I think that really worked for me, but it kind of felt like, oh, you're sort of retroactively threading this back together, and I didn't realize they were setting that up. And I, I appreciated it sort of after the fact, but... Individual episodes, they, there was so much wasted, uh, not wasted, uh, untapped potential. Yeah, like yeah, the, I, the first one with Captain Carter, it's like, oh, so what if, what if Peggy got the serum instead of Steve? It's the exact same story and plot, but just with her instead of him. Like it, it wasn't interesting. It was just well, they just and, swapped out some pieces. And, and also, also here's a bunch of Steve. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even though well, it's Peggy's episode. Yeah. Do you think that it it it's because it limits itself to twenty minutes? Yes, hundred percent. You can't tell a fully. 100%. You can feel that they don't have enough time to really explore the concepts they want to explore. I, I think the, the yeah. time the time frame is the big thing. But The I'm, one with Killmonger especially felt like there's yeah. so many beats they have to hit and they only get 28 minutes to do it. Yeah. That was definitely very expedited. I, I felt it at all of them, uh, honestly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think they're used to being able to tell stories over two hours or more, and so to tell a story in 20 minutes, 25 minutes at the most, I think that's really difficult for them, and I think you can feel it in all of them. I'm actually torn about connecting everything and turning the anthology into not an anthology. One of the things I was really excited about this show was the ability to black mirror it, you know, the ability to just go, okay, what's this one, you know, Let, let's go here, right. and when it tied it together, it was like, oh, so I knew it was canon, but now it's actually just it's a, just another Marvel property that is tying in in the same way. Everything's connected. You know, it's like everything yeah. has to be connected. Can something not be connected? Is that possible, Marvel? Can you do that where you make something? DC does it all the time, and right. they have great results with yeah. a lot of those one-off 
properties. And it's just like and it's just I, like what if what if in this one Batman kills the Joker for real? Okay, cool. We can't connect it back to the rest of the movies because Dad's kind of breaking off all of our rules. But mm-hmm. every now and then, that that I think what if had the potential to be like the Killing Joke version of mm-hmm. Marvel. Where they took those big chances and did stuff like, what if Steve Rogers went back and killed Hitler? Like that'd be a really interesting mm-hmm. concept. But this is like, what yeah. if the guy who had the shield was a woman instead? Okay, what uh, if that's not? There wasn't. Yeah. It, it just wasn't interesting enough to me. They they would swap out characters. What if uh, T'Challa was Star Lord instead of Peter Quill? Again, a lot of the same beats. Mm-hmm. It just felt like a remake of the movie, but recast with a different <laughs> animated actor. Yeah. There Am is, I wrong? You, no, no, you're no, right. No, I'm, I'm laughing because uh, there's the South Park bit with uh, Rob Schneider. And like they're doing like the trailer voices like Rob Schneider is back as a carrot. And I just <laughs> that's just the voiceover I imagine for all yes, of these yes. like a uh, what if episode. What if Captain America was a woman? Derp de derp. You know, like. <laughs> yeah. It just, I, uh, I, I felt like they didn't – They this is animated. They're one-off anthologies. They could have swung for the fences and gone completely bananas with some of these uh, ideas. But they felt just like little remakes of the movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, this is a good point, I, I think, to jump in and say there is a missing episode here. Uh, this was intended to be uh, 10 episodes, and there is a character in the uh, final episode that was meant to be the 10th episode that had her own episode uh, that was not aired, and that was the Gamora character. Uh, and so if you were wondering as you're watching that finale, like, uh, you know, hey, here's all these people we know from the stories, and Gamora that was pulled from, I, like... I honestly didn't even notice that, but I'm like, oh, that they mentioned the Gamora who killed Thanos. Uh-huh. And uh, I was like, yeah, I think that was one of them. I don't remember. I watched nine of them in two days. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, So What happened there? Why did it not get aired? All they say is pandemic. They just say it's pandemic related and that it will be in season two. Um, So, but when, but this kind of brings to my mind, you know, like the, the issue with trying to tie them all together is, you know, then you've got missing pieces and, um, so, yeah, anyhow, if you didn't know that, that was something I found out after the fact as well. But I did have that question watching the finale, which was, who is Gamora and why was she hanging out with, like, mecha suit Tony Stark? Um, or I'm you know, not going to lie. I thought that she was – I can't remember if Gamora was in the Star, Star-Lord Star T'Challa episode or not. I, think she, I can't I think remember. She, I think she had a cameo. Maybe she wasn't. Yeah, I okay. think she was in it I but thought briefly. that's where they I, did, I just assumed it was one of those. I didn't even yeah. – Nope. Nope, Did that not was even missing episode. So, so anyhow, yeah, I didn't know there was a. Um, no. Can I talk about my biggest issue with the show? Sure, sure. The, this is what's keeping me from saying I, even I really like the show, and it's it's the first time I, I can really think of that Marvel has done this. They they have been, and by they I mean Feige and all the writers have been so good about consistency with following the rules and you know not stepping on their toes like accidentally Mm. it was bound to happen you know it happened in this it's been stated that this show is canon now Mm -hmm. right correct yes it is impossible for it to be canon because they've stated in the comics and in loki and in the mcu in general 
Infinity Stones slash Infinity Gems can't be used outside of the universe they came from. Yeah, they even mentioned it in the final episode uh, of What If. Somebody even says that. Yeah. Yeah. So Vision Tron should not be able to break out of his universe to fight not only the Watcher, but any other multiverse out there. I think, here's the rationalization. I think this is what they're going for. I will agree with you. It's not well explained. Uh, it is. It feels contradictory, and it might be contradictory, but I wonder if they're going for this. I wonder if Ultravision, or whatever you want to call him, um, Enhanced Vision. I like, I like, I like Ultravision. <laughs> Just call him LASIK. Yeah. Uh, he, I think we're supposed to believe he is so powerful without the stones that he is hard to beat even outside of his own universe. And that final fight that he has with them is in his universe, so that he can the stones become in, usable and important during that final fight because that's actually happening in his universe. Because mm-hmm. he says something about, I mean, that's I'm telling you kind of how my but, brain tried to put it together. Just, just real quick though, remember that uh, they built that machine to mm-hmm. kill to destroy the gems. Yep. But it was the gems from that universe, so he couldn't have been from that universe. No, no, that was in. Or did, or did she bring? Did she bring that device from? Okay, right. I thought it was a device that they made there. No, no. I, Again, I can tell. I, I can tell. I can tell. Drew wants to jump in right now and just start talking. <laughs> Our like, private I can, chat right now. <laughs> yeah, it's just a bunch of nope, 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 nope. <laughs> So, yeah, I, that that must have been in the episode that was missing. Uh, this this stone crusher device, correct, Gamora brings correct, with her, yeah. capable. The only thing capable of destroying the Infinity Stones beside themselves, but it doesn't work because they're outside of their own universe. I, I think, Aaron, I like your explanation. I think that's a good way to sort of rectify it in your. I head just wonder if that's that, the like, rationalization. I'm not saying yeah. it works. I'm yeah. not saying it's it's. Uh, I, I'll makes buy sense, it. That's but, a good enough explanation yeah. for me. I don't. I I never let plot holes deter me from enjoying a movie. It's it's fun to nitpick, but like. Whether or not it breaks canon, like, I, I don't care. I had fun with some but that, of it. But, I mean, that is kind of a world-breaking mistake, right? Like, that is oh, kind of Lord. one of those things where it's like, they can't be in the drawer in Loki and be used as paperweights and then also yeah, be right. ultra-powerful. You know, like, these yeah. are two back-to-back properties that you're saying possibly yeah. opposite things in. So, um, I have to I have to think they knew that. So, the question is whether or not they're just, okay, break you know, breaking the world. Or they have a rationalization. I would guess, having seen everything I've seen from Feige, he's got some sort of rationalization for this, um, you know, that he can at least spout out there. But I don't yeah. know. If, if somebody comes out and says, well, this is the one universe where the Infinity Gems can, you know, work across, multi, across the multiverse... I'll well, be that doesn't make sense in the multiverse. No, I know it doesn't. I know <laughs> oh, I it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. But it's that's why, like, that's if why somebody would be disappointed because that's I'd a be terrible very excuse. disappointed. Yeah. But yeah. no, in the comics, no. Uh, Reed Richards, who uh, Mr. Fantastic from the Fantastic Four, you know how uh, in Rick and Morty, there's like the uh, the coalition of Ricks and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of a take on the coalition coalition of Reeds because mm-hmm. there is a coalition of all the Reed Richards. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of them have the Infinity Gauntlet, 
but none of them work because they're all outside of their universe. Mm-hmm. Also, whenever Darkseid from DC, there was a big Justice League Avengers crossover event. Darkseid came over, got the Infinity Gauntlet, and threw it away because mm-hmm. it didn't work. Right. So, yeah, it's been established multiple, multiple times that Infinity Stones slash gems don't work outside of their universe. So it was one of those things where I kept seeing him use the gems here and there, and I'm like, it just... And, yes, I can take face value these last, I guess, technically three episodes, if you want to count the Thor one as part of it, because, you know, he just makes that cameo at the very end. But... If you want to take those last three episodes and just have a face value, did I find these entertaining? My answer is yeah. Yeah. My answer is yeah. But when I look at the season at whole, and I think uh, Drew even said this somewhere in the private chat that yeah, uh, these were meant to be forty minutes long. Mm-hmm. I didn't. That's know that. what's missing. Yeah. No, yeah. I totally That's agree. I, I think these are totally different. If you're given, there's just it just you can feel the shortcuts. Um, the rush. So, yeah, it appears and as rush, if I don't mean adrenaline. Just it appears rush. as if uh, one of the writers from What If has explained uh, the Ultron uh, Loki Infinity Stones plot hole. Uh, I do not have time to read that now during the uh, the show. But but, um, the, but the explanation exists. But they have at least Look tried to rationalize it. I don't know if it's what I yeah. said or something else. Uh, but I will read that at yeah. some point, and you can as Quickly, well. Uh, you can find it out there. Cha- changing topics or going back to the yeah. topic uh, of the nine. Um, what was your favorite episode? Uh, while you think, I will. I will share mine. I really liked the one with uh, Doctor Strange trying to HG Wells himself through time and undo yeah. that sort of absolute point. I thought that was a really cool concept. It reminded me a lot of the Time Machine, uh, the Guy Pierce film, not the original one. Um, it was something really interesting about going back in time and trying to reverse something that the event of which caused you to learn the thing that you're. Like in, in the uh, 2002 version of Time Machine, Guy Pierce builds the Time Machine to save his wife because his wife died. So if, his, if he saves his mm-hmm. wife, he never has a reason to build it, and he can't undo he that. He can't I change really time. Like, he can't change time. Yeah. I, and I really, really uh, enjoyed that sort of characterization. But I think it would have been more effective if he was trying to undo an event we had actually seen in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like they have to, they have to first establish. Well, in this one, uh, Rachel McAdams' character dies, and now we need to watch him undo that. But if she had yeah. actually died in the original film, and we tried to watch him undo it, I think that would have been more interesting. But yeah, uh, I, that I think was, I think holistically, like the most complete front to back story, just on its own yeah. three act structure. But I, I, I like that one. It, I like that yeah. one as a storytelling experience. As yeah. somebody whose mind can't quit thinking about time travel paradoxes, uh, I just I just was so distracted during that one, just being like, like the first time he goes back to save her, he drives the same path. Like, wh- why are you going back and then going to the same place and getting hit hit by the same car? Then you try a bunch of different things, right? Like trying yeah. all these different things. And then in the final one, they're back on that same path again. In in the like same exact wreck happens, and it's just like I I don't stuff like that. Just you know, how far can you it go is, back? How how it, you know yeah. what kind of uh, you know? One point the universe kills like an entire building of people to kill her or something. You know, I don't know. There's just like it was it was weird to me. 
It's, it's like what John said. It's very H.G. Wells. I mean, the only mm-hmm. thing that episode yeah. was missing was Morlocks, you know? That that was it. <laughs> uh, it was also I interesting to, to me I need to read I, the time was, machine again. Maybe yeah. I was expecting uh, uh, something different from the program, but is it like already set in established canon that all of the multiverses happen at the same point in time? It's all 2020-whatever? I thought we'd see stuff in the past or stuff in the way future, and everything was just a different version of now. Well, Is I mean, it like was a, a different set? version of stuff in the, like the Captain Carter one was obviously you know in the past, in but the 40s. The, okay, but that's it was right. the same. But it was the same as First Avenger. You know, it was the same time right. frame as as that movie. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, the Watcher has the ability to travel not only through multiverse but also time yeah yeah so yeah. we Which are is why i think like what if iron man existed in the middle ages that would have been interesting but we didn't get it yeah we are now joined by uh drew who's producing the show and cannot wait any longer to uh <laughs> yeah. to make sure we know some things so it's drew what if he was a cat what if drew was a cat uh all right you, go for it i i i don't know i i am a lot of times not on the same page that just happens and this is one of those times where I, I, as growing up as a Marvel fan, uh, this I've enjoyed every single minute of this. Nice. Now, that being said, yes, there were moments I'm like, the stones don't work outside the universe. Why is this happening? You know? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, back when the original uh, X-Men came out, I remember I had a conversation with Aaron because that was, X-Men was my jam. Mm-hmm. And I, I was struggling so much with Rogue being younger and where's Gambit and all this stuff. And Aaron said to me, like, hey, it's a different it's a different universe. It's a different way of telling stories. Just, you know, kind of let it go. And I was like, oh, you know what? That sounds like a good idea. Otherwise, I won't enjoy it. And so with comic book franchises, even the new Marvel stuff, I view everything as its own little thing. So any rules they want to break, I allow them to break it because it, otherwise you're going to get too caught up, especially with the comic book stuff and the Watcher and like where are all the other Watchers during all this. I granted the the this Watcher is specifically set to watch this section of the universe. Yeah, but, Uatu. But like, where if everything was going down that bad, it would I don't think just be one and only. My. But, my only, yeah, like if it was really that bad, like the Living Tribunal would have showed up. Right. But uh, my only pushback on that is that this isn't just a universal issue; it's a multiversal issue. Sure. So, like, like whenever, like with the X Men, you're like, oh, it's just in a different universe. That's fine. This is something that has ramifications across. Technically, I mean, technically, it would have ramifications ramifications across. Fox's universe, Sony's universe, Marvel's <laughs> universe. I mean, it, it would technically, I mean, technically it would because the MCU is in universe one, nine, 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 whatever feel, it is. I feel like see, we're getting into Tommy Westfall territory here. Yeah, but that's where you get anything. Yeah, that's we where don't you have get to. too far. <laughs> and like, I think obviously the easiest one to connect it to is all the other Mar- Marvel properties, especially in this phase. They are obvious. I have been wondering when they were going to do time travel and multiverse stuff because that's such a big part of all the comics especially in the 90s and we're working yeah. we're working our way towards you know the the MCU getting to a point where we are 
too over convoluted with heroes and all this other stuff. And we're going to have our, you know, M day event because they've got to reset. That's all coming. Cause they are, they are kind of just following what they did. I mean, end game already happened, but like, uh, like, you know, they're, they are doing something. And I think until we see the Spider-Man movie and the Dr. Strange movie, which both are obviously dealing with this same subject matter, I think it'll, yeah. you know, it's going to be hard to know what the actual, what their actual line is. Uh, either way, I enjoyed all of them. I thought it was good to see the zombies. I thought everything was fun. I was disappointed. Yeah. I, I feel like it, the critique of them feeling disjointed is very legitimate because there was obviously time missing from these. And all of a sudden they end where you feel like the story was just like getting to this point, And then all of a sudden you're missing something. I disagree wholeheartedly about like Peggy Carter as Captain Carter uh, in this just a, a retelling because it is just a retelling, but it's interesting to see those small facet changes and what that means to the universe as much yeah, as there's a, zombie a sexual universe. dynamic or a sexist dynamic to it. Like mm-hmm. I just think there's a lot of interesting things. And then the last thing I'm going to say before I go back into my void is <laughs> <laughs> Mecha Tony Stark is every Tony Stark. There's yes. no such thing as non-Mecha yes. Tony Stark. Yeah, it was just so. like it was like Hulk suit or whatever. It was just like a giant suit. That's the only reason. I forget. I yeah, the name it was of like it, it was um, like Hulkbuster almost. There, there is a name for it, but I can't remember it right. Yeah, now. yeah. No, you're right. But that would have been a right. fun. That would have been a fun episode to watch. But we will. Apparently, it's coming in season two. Yeah. In, okay. Yeah. They may so, even do it yeah. as like a special, like leading up to season two kind of thing where they put that out there or whatever my guess is in in the reason i have this guess is just because that is the only character of the uh guardians of the multiverse that isn't voiced by the original person and my guess is that they uh wanted to do that with her uh and that something pandemic related kept her from being able to record those parts and so they had oh, somebody pop in that's, that's not true for, uh uh, what's her name? Uh, Brie Larson didn't uh, do Carol. Yeah, but she's not. In, but she's not in the Guardians of the Multiverse, wasn't she? No, uh, no. she wasn't. A she's not character. one of the Guardians. She's not she one of the Guardians. In the Thor episode, but she's not one of the Guardians. I think is what he's saying. Okay. Correct. Right. Correct. I, I noticed okay. that all, all the people that the Watcher chose for that big final fight were original they were voices. The, the original voices and the people except that for didn't. Gamora. Right. Yeah. yeah. Guys, can we throw out that pro that they actually got? Like that was 90% great. Yeah. Of people. No, that, yeah. I think that's really worth mentioning that, uh, yeah, at least eight or nine out of 10 characters were all voiced by the original people, including Natalie Portman. I'm like, they, they didn't yeah. get Natalie for this. There's no way. Like, they, <laughs> well, yeah. How'd you guys Kurt feel? Russell to come in for literally two yeah. words. Yeah. yeah. You, know? you guys uh, feel that for, Chad Mc, for Chadwick Boseman's like send off in the Marvel mm-hmm. Universe that it was. Uh, Good. I felt it was strong. I actually really enjoyed. No, it. I I found it emotionally moving. Um, specifically yeah. in the uh the Killmonger episode where they actually had a funeral for um Black Panther, uh for T'Challa. Yeah. I mean, and uh and yeah, no, I found that moving. So yeah, that was good. This all stems from the original question John brought up. What was our favorite episode? What's your favorite? <laughs> so I'll just throw, I'll just throw out my ago. answer real quick, and it was and it's actually the uh what if a Chicago. T'Challa became Star Lord. Yeah, that, that was my that favorite. Was, that one's pretty good too. I liked that one a lot. But I do really like the Doctor Strange. What if uh, he broke his heart instead of his hands? I think that's the title of the episode. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I easily the zombie episode for me, and not because it was it, just zombies, so but 
floating floating head of Ant-Man is just that was very fun. <laughs> that was yeah. just funny. So, all right, very, very bye fun. guys. Bye. Have fun. See you, Drew. Have Thanks fun doing your best out. ever challenge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, real quickly on, on the T'Challa episode, the entire conceit of Thanos being converted by good arguments and then becoming a good guy, I love that, and I wanted more yeah. of that mm-hmm. in this show. Like, yeah. what if someone convinced Thanos not to kill everyone? That's actually pretty cool. Yeah. And then that it became like a big joke. Like, can you believe this guy? Almost, yeah, no, you know? I, I agree. That <laughs> was funny. I like that. Yeah. I did too. I did too. There, yeah, there were some really fun winks. That was back whenever, I hate, this is going to sound stupid saying it, but but that was back whenever we all had the idea of an anthology and we didn't really think of anything tying in. So you could imagine like... Uh, Oh, so he's just off somewhere, you know. I, I wish they would, or I hope they come back to that. That was a lot of fun. So, yeah, back whenever there was just free levity and you didn't have to worry about any of the episodes and how they tied into the bigger picture, you know. Which I think that was, Aaron, the thing you were most... Did you say that already? That was one of the things you were most excited about with What If, is that, oh, it's an anthology. After mm-hmm. one story's done, we can, yeah. you know, just put it to bed. We don't... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they, I wish they would have committed to that. I think so too. I, I I don't blame I don't blame for Marvel for marveling. That's this is just what they do. You know, like this is this this is their That's good way to put it. You know, this is this is just what they do. They don't know any better. I just think they yeah. they could find some success in, and I think they're trying to set up the multiverse. I thought they're trying to they were trying to set up the multiverse so they could do that and just say yes this is still canon technically in the MCU it's just a different right. universe that nobody right. knows no, about. Right no exactly this gave them their perfect like in universe way of saying let's do some crazy stuff and not have it matter to the the prime mm-hmm. timeline but it can still technically be woven back in if we decide after the fact. Yeah. Uh, and they immediately were like, yeah, we can't wait. Let's weave it back in. And if you uh, don't think there's going to be an Easter egg somewhere where a live action Captain Carter shows up in one of the movies, you're crazy. It's going to happen. Like, oh, yeah. what, well, she's, you know, she's having a show come out, isn't she? Like another Captain Carter show? Like, I, I know, know they did uh, Agent Carter already, but I thought mm-hmm. they were doing like a full on season of Captain Carter, whether it's animated or not, I don't know. I hadn't know. heard that, but it, to answer your yeah. question that I don't think I ever answered either, that actually, even amongst everything we've said about it, I think that's actually my favorite episode, the first episode. I, I like the Captain Carter episode. Um, that may be just a special place in my heart for those first, characters love, and like, First Avenger yeah. and, and that yeah. kind of stuff, but um, but I did enjoy that episode. Uh, all yeah. right. Nice, hefty conversation. Love it, guys. Uh, before we get into the best ever challenge, Big thank you to our supporters, our members of Sif Pop at Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Sif Pop if you want to check out the different levels, the different things. Uh, we do a bonus podcast for one of those levels every single week. This week, we talked about television we're watching. We covered Squid Game, Ted Lasso, uh, Only Murders Sh- in the Building, Schmigadoon. Uh, Why the Last Man. Why the Last Man. Lots of good com- TV conversation for our I just like members. saying Schmigadoon. <laughs> yes, yeah, you do. Like it just great. rolls off the tongue. Schmigadoon, Schmigadoon. Uh, so Love if it. you want to check that out, again, you can go to patreon.com slash Thank you for even considering uh, throwing a couple bucks our way every month. It means the world to us. 
Saving money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options. In stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at all right, let's uh, let's move on to the best ever challenge, which is simply best ever Bond movies. We'll go number five to number one. Feel free to trump something if you've got it higher than someone else. Um, let's start with why don't I start? I'll go ahead and start us off. Okay. Uh, number five. This might Trump. get trumped. <laughs> uh, this is where I have Casino Royale uh, in at number Trump. five. Okay. Trump. Since you're trumping, since you're trumping that. Um, I'm going to go ahead. I'm, I'm not going to switch it up. Technically, I think Casino Royale I like more than this movie. I was really tempted. I just finished up with the Dalton movies this week. I was really tempted to uh, put License to Kill in there. Um, it's a good movie. It's it a is, real good movie. It is. Re- I, love, I was I love really surprised by how good those Dalton movies uh, are in, in in the Bond universe. Um, I have that at number seven on my overall list. Yeah. It's very strong. Yeah, I think young I got Benicio a... del Toro in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real young. He's like twenty. Yeah, yeah. He's just a kid. Um, yeah, just a wee so, lad. Yeah, as I was watching the old ones, um, yeah, I, I really, when I got to the Dalton, wasn't expecting a lot from the Dalton movies for whatever reason, and they really surprised me. So yeah, just I think they hold up really well because they were so forward thinking. They were. Like the yeah. world wasn't ready for like a gritty, violent, Correct. drug chasing uh, Bond in 1989, but like today that feels almost prescient. Well, like the I way almost, they predicted some of the trends of the 90s. Like I, it feels like a 90s action movie. And I, I kind of have to take back one of the things I've said over and over again about the Daniel Craig Bond is that it was a response to the Jason Bourne movies. You know that there that there was this need to go a little grittier, get rid of some of the old mindset. That kind of thing, and I still think that's true to a point. But what I ne- the context I now have is they actually tried this before the Bourne movies. Like there's there's a little bit of that here, and so I think that's you know important to know. But yeah, both License to Kill uh, and um, the other one that's slipping. Um, the other one that's slipping. Oh, li- oh, Living Daylights. The yeah, other, The Living Daylights. That's what it is. Uh, both of those uh, are decent movies. So I'll just since Casino Royale is you know is higher on. Uh, um, Andrew's list. I'll uh, I'll go ahead and just mention uh, License to Kill. So, what's your number five, uh, John? Why don't you go next? My number five. I actually think I mentioned it as a. I, f- I forget what the challenge was. Movies with the word die in it. Um, Tomorrow Never Dies is my fifth favorite James Bond movie. I think this is uh, the quintessential like middle season episode of the franchise. It has all the templates and all the benchmarks you want, like a classic cold open, the fun gadgets, the witty humor, and like these big action set pieces. The part where he's driving the car around the parking garage from the back seat on his cell phone is so yeah. much fun. It works yeah. great. Uh, and then it ends with a joke where he drives it into an Avis car rental. And it's just like that stuff works. And I love like Brosnan's 90s era Bond before it went completely off the rails and die another day uh but yeah this one's just it's just fun it feels like when i think of like the most formulaic in a good way this is the movie i come to yeah nice andrew what do you got at number five uh i am a roger moore apologist sure i love him i really enjoy his movies because 
I like you know I'm okay with Bond having a little bit of levity. Sure. You know, I mean it it's fine and I don't have to take Bond seriously all the time. So I'm going to go with his cheesiest of all of his movies. So I'm probably going to get a big scoff from John on this one. <laughs> I'm going to go with M- Moonraker. Nice. I right. like Moon- I liked Moonraker. That's my second favorite Roger Moore Bond. I think this Here's the thing. It's fun. It's just I it- love Jaws. Jaws <laughs> is one of my favorite henchmen and for sure I, my favorite more is uh, the spy who loved me uh, for a lot of the same reasons. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, there's it's ridiculous. It's corny. It's it's fun. Mm-hmm. Can we just It, it really it's, it's, it's very fun. silly also, it's a but it silly, is it is fun great movie. fun. Jaws falls in love with the girl with the braces. I mean, come on, that's adorable. I'm I'm fine with having a dorky, happy go lucky James Bond movie. Yeah, like the this rest movie of literally this has list... a, a this movie literally has a Tchaikovsky needle drop of Romeo and Juliet when they yes. first look at each other. I'm like, that's straight yeah. out of like a cartoon from the thirties. Mm-hmm. And this movie's playing it not earnestly, but they literally yeah. in a two hundred million dollar movie yeah. or whatever. And it just happened. The inflation. That just happened. Yeah, yeah. It's great. And the cable car fight with Jaws is fun. Ah, yes. Awesome. Yeah. I agree. Okay. Moon yep, Raker. that's my number five. Uh, all right, on to our number fours. Um, yep. I This is where I have Dr. No, um, which is mm. the very first Bond movie, I believe. Indeed. I am not yep. a big fan of this one. It, it It is like the slowest and like one of the weirder paced ones, in my opinion. I don't think Connery really found his footing until later, but... When did, when did you, you watch like it? it in your uh, like Bond um, existence? Like, when did you... Like which what what was it? What were the first Bond movies you watched? Were they Roger Moore movies? Brosnan. Brosnan. It was pro- it was probably Goldeneye. I think I might have seen that right when it okay, came that out, was and me then too. I went back and, and watched them yeah. all on cable. Uh, but yeah, as like a ten year old watching a movie from nineteen sixty two, felt like Ugh, I don't. This doesn't really yeah. speak to me. Yeah, here's, I mean, event, but I I love some of the other Connery movies. Here's what I loved about but Dr. not no. this one. I think Doctor. I don't think uh, Sean Connery is doing the Bond we know and love today in Doctor No. Right. This, to me, feels like the most authentic movie of the Bond movies, because at that point, there was no expectation. There were no, uh, you know, things you had to do in every Bond movie. This laid the blueprint for some of those things, not all of those things, but some of those things. And it just feels like a solid spy movie uh in yeah, a lot I, of ways. I would say the spy craft here is definitely more grounded and authentic yeah there's not a lot of crazy gadgets at all i think in this movie i don't think he gets any gadgets besides the the ppk mm-hmm. and it's just like a regular spy yeah. doing regular normal things there's no big car chases or ejector seats or jetpacks yet mm-hmm. it's just like him on a beach trying to seduce a local because that's the contact and mm-hmm. that's the lead he needs to yeah. get to the base and which is like normal spy stuff, relationships. Yeah, and honey potting. My <laughs> for and for me, you talk about like one of the things a lot of people talk about with the Bond movies is eye candy, you know. And um, and usually they're talking about the female actors. Man, Sean Connery in this movie is eye candy. Like it is, it's like I watch this. I was like, oh, okay, I I get the Connery <laughs> thing. <laughs> like, no, nah, he looked good. He looked good, right? Like it's just so it, it was kind of one of those experiences. Like, oh, I get why Bond became a thing. Like it's just it it really tells a good story. Has a super charismatic, super attractive lead, um, and so I, I just I really enjoyed it. So uh, that came in as my number four. Uh, John, I, I, I was I was recently watching an old. Um, Disney Irish 
comedy with Sean Connery. I, I can't remember the name of it. He, he, there's Leprechauns, uh, oh, Danny, what's it called? Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I grew great, up watching that movie, man. Great Technicolor uh, adventure film from Disney from yes. 59. It's a couple of years older than Dr. No. And I remember I was watching and my wife was like, oh, sh- shoot, Sean Connery looks good here. I'm like, yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he looked good in his early 30s. Yeah. You know? he, he eventually got a little fatter, older, and balder. But yeah, starting like we, off, you know, like we all do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, you, Jonathan, what do you of? got at number four? Uh, Casino Royale. This is uh, one of the best first installments, I think, from any actor. Um, and yeah, Craig hits it out of the park in his first now, jump. Now, Andrew, they, you trumped they, that for me. Do you have that uh, higher than four? I got it at four. All right, two. so we, so we need to talk about it now. I, I just yeah. love that they they. Oh, they I was talking about every- the Peter Solomon. Yeah. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> that movie is terrible. Oh, I have not yeah. seen it. that is, yeah. oh my yeah. goodness. Like, so I watched all the Eon Bonds and all the non Eon Bonds. I think there's three non uh, Eon Bond movies, and one of them is a parody called Casino Royale. Yeah. And it is the worst garbage. parody I've ever seen. <laughs> it's it's garbage. like, like, you know how parodies, what works about them is that they're really funny and they understand the source material. Austin um, Powers. Austin Powers. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, uh, don't ever seek out the original. Uh. Okay. Well, actually, the Austin Powers <laughs> thing, that, that actually uh, brings me to my next point about Casino Royale is that uh, Mike Myers had sort of uh, deliberately lampooned all of the trademarks of the Bond franchise. So when it came time to reboot the franchise in 2006, they kind of had to throw out everything mm-hmm. because they, they could no longer do it earnestly because Mike Myers had already made fun of them. Mm-hmm. So the result is like a really grounded, serious, like action character-oriented movie that didn't feel at all like its predecessor, certainly not its immediate predecessor, Die Another Day, which is like just an arcade game by comparison. So I think this was such like a, a, a turning point for the franchise and, and just from the very beginning where they, they show Bond's very first kill to how he got his 00 license... And, like, trying to figure out his way in the MI6 world. There's something about that, like, origin story that we never got before that was so cool to see, you know, 20 movies in. Andrew, you also had it at uh, number four. You have any other thoughts? Uh, Yeah. I uh, First of all, Vera Farmiga. I mean, not Vera Farmiga. Vespa. Yeah. (laughs) Eva Green. Uh, Yeah, Eva Green is Vespa. Uh, Yes, Drop Dead Gorgeous. But also, I love the fact that she was like one of the few Bond girls I can think of who wasn't immediately entranced with Bond. You know, she was like, mm-hmm. I'm not putting up with your crap, you know? Yeah, they have this and, introduction on the train where they just sort of go back and forth with dialogue. Yeah. And it's one of my favorite scenes mm-hmm. in the entire franchise. Because yeah. like Bond met a woman as charming and disarming <laughs> as he is. And yeah. he can't just like woo her with like a wink mm-hmm. of his eye. She's not buying but you can it. T- but you can tell that he loves that. He's like, oh, oh absolutely. That's why yeah. it works. Yeah. Um, also, uh, Mads Mikkelsen as Le Chiffre is one of my favorite Bond villains because he isn't the uh, the brilliant mastermind. He's a uh, he's a gambling addict, and yeah, he's uh, just a dude. He's just a dude, but he's also that desperation is what makes him so terrifying. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and uh, of course, you know, it's the Bond where he actually starts getting hurt. That torture scene is mm-hmm. uh, infamous. Torture. It's torture. Yeah, <laughs> yes. it's torture. 
Uh, all right, yeah, let's that's move on to our number threes. Uh, I think John gave this a shout out in this conversation. I actually have The Spy Who Loved Me at number three in my nice. uh, top Bond movies. Um, this is my favorite Roger Moore. Uh, Same. And I think this is the movie. This Actually, this and my number two, I would say, are the two movies. That when you're watching Austin Powers, Austin Powers yeah. is targeting the most, right? Like you For watch sure. a, you watch a movie like this and you go, "Oh, this is when all of that uh, craziness and the big tropes, the trademarks, and the, yeah, yeah, all that stuff was like full force, rocking it on all cylinders, uh, and it works. It works here. It's like fun yeah. and interesting and clever, and you know, I, I really. And I, I wasn't a huge fan of most of the Roger Moore movies. Most of them come in towards the bottom of my Bond list. Um, but I really do like The Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker, which are the two that we've mentioned. Um, and I think it's because those two, more than any of the others, really understand the type of movie they are. But don't let that distract them from you know uh, telling you the story it wants to tell you. Um, and, yeah. and so, yes, yeah, I think, I think another reason, uh, the spy who loved me works really well is Mrs. Ringo Starr, uh, yeah. whose name escapes me, uh, but she oh, plays the, uh, the Russian, the Russian counterpart agent. And it yeah. was so great, especially this long into the franchise to see a female that could kind of go toe to toe with Bond. And we had seen that sort of here and there, but like, she has almost like a co-starring status. Um, and she's fantastic. Barbara something or other. Um, uh, yeah. Bach, Barbara Bach. Barbara Bach, that's it. Yeah, yeah Mrs. Ringo Starr. For, uh, I yep. don't think they're still married, but they were then. They are. Um, they are, yeah. They're oh, they're still, still married? Yeah. Good for yeah. them. That's fantastic. Since 1981. They met on the, they, yeah, they met on the, uh, the set of Caveman. Have <laughs> 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 you guys well, yeah, seen no, that, that movie? That, that was a, a great character to that sort of uh, was adversarial with Bond, and they sort of had a good relationship. And it wasn't a love interest. It was sort of a teammate that you can't trust. Yeah. And that always makes for good tension. Uh, John, what do you got at number three? Goldfinger. Uh, Trump. Uh, Trump. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, what do you got at number three? Well, mine will be Trumped Goldeneye. Yeah, Trump. All right. Well, then on to my number two, which is <laughs> Goldfinger. Uh, okay, still Trumped? No. I got Andrew? it. Andrew? Yeah. I got it at two. All right. Wait, so- Goldfinger? I have it too. Wait, yes. how did we Trump? <laughs> We, How we, did we trump it then. We we I'm completely lost. We trumped we trumped John at three. He said Goldfinger was three. We both yes. had it at two. Correct. Okay. Right. So that's why we both yeah. trumped it. So okay, yeah. now we can talk about it. Uh, sure. Yeah, it's it's great when you have Goldeneye and Goldfinger right next to each other. You <laughs> well, and all the dying other days and twice and yeah, you know, all that live and let and everything. It all goes together. Uh, yeah, Goldfinger is the other one I'm talking about when I when Austin Powers yeah, has sure. its sights firmly one set of the, on something. Uh, Arik Goldfinger is one of the best villains. Mm-hmm. The entire oh, yeah. plot to contaminate Fort Knox with atomic radiation is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. like, the scene with the laser coming up through his legs is just iconic. I expect you to die. Mm-hmm. Everything my, about this. It's one of the best and I can't, I don't lines of the Bond movie. I, I don't even know if I can say the female's name on the podcast, uh, but there's, there's just everything P-galore, about this movie. Uh, It's just like quintessential. This is when they start introducing the big motifs they come back to. This is Desmond Llewellyn's first movie as Q. Um, and they, it's just so much fun. I love it. And he was Q forever, too. Yeah. yeah. He did like 19 or 20 yeah. pictures, I think. It, he did a bunch. Another. Speaking of lines, uh, you brought up another great one. Uh 
obviously my favorite is do you expect me to talk no i expect you to die but also when he wakes up on the plane and she just goes my name is p galore he just looks around and goes well i must be dreaming (laughs) (laughs) yeah fantastic i uh this is where it all locked in for connery i I think like this is where it was like oh this is the movie we're making and making it with confidence and was this the fourth or I think it was the third. third I think, so it was right after From Mercer with Love. Right yeah. after yep. From Mercer with Love. Yeah, and again, those first three movies came out in back-to-back-to-back years. 62, yeah. 3, and 4. Yeah. Now, another thing, uh, I love a good henchman, and odd job. I mean, the guy didn't say anything, but come on, he threw a, a derby that could cut your head off. Yep. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's so cool. What more do you need? And, what more do you need? And I think that Goldfinger was also the episode where... You started to get the cooler gadgets, you know, like yeah. not every, it, I mean, it wasn't Roger Moore is when it got ridiculous with gadgets, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. they were just but, MacGuffins uh, and Deus yeah. at that point. But yeah, but wasn't, but wasn't this the ejector seat uh, movie? Yeah, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. This is the, this is where you get the first Aston Martin. Yeah. Uh, this is where you, I think he has a watch or something in this movie. I forget. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. He yeah, had the watch great. in this one. Yeah. Yeah. I, lo- I absolutely love Goldfinger. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I agree. I agree, and it ranked pretty high on all our lists. So I think that yeah, means I, uh, I think that means we're on to your number two, right, John? John, yeah, yes, which is Goldeneye. Nice. Uh, Brosnan's first, and I think we all already admitted everyone's introduction to the franchise. It was sort of a cultural awakening for all millennials into mm-hmm. the the franchise, and perhaps more importantly, it spawned one of the greatest first person shooter video games of all time. Mm-hmm. Easy. Uh, but I think just the, the the females in this they are great, and, and Sean Bean as 006 is one of the all time best villains in the entire run. Yeah, uh, his sort of like betrayed uh, friendship uh, that they they establish early that he used to be a partner, and then he's presumed dead. He comes back, and there's something about the dynamic that works better and stronger and more emotionally than almost any other villain in the franchise. Uh, yeah. and it's for that reason as well as just. A great sequence where he's driving through St. Petersburg with a, a tank, and then as soon as he busts through yeah. the wall like Kool Aid Man, they just uh, uh, Monty Norman's theme just like drops like a hammer, yeah. and it's like yes, I love this stuff when they just play that theme. And Pierce Brosnan is poking his head out of a tank, mowing down Soviets. It's like this is a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> this is old fashioned just movie making. I remember watching this, and the first scene happens. The plane goes off the edge. He rides the bike off the edge. And there's this wide and shot chases it. of I the plane it. falling it. and the bike going off and him diving. And he catches the plane in midair. It's all ridiculous. But I just remember Insane. going, oh, this is Bond? It was like, you know, yeah. I'm in. Take me away. Yeah, like, no, there are some this. legitimate, legitimate stunts in that movie. Uh, and yeah. some great model work and like early uh, computer animation to make some of it work. Um, yeah, it, it holds up. This movie looks fantastic. It has like a really sleek sort of like mid-90s polish to it that movies today have to feel like a little more gritty and grounded. But I kind of like this one's a little bit more shiny, if that makes sense. Well, it goes with the it goes with the Brosnan portrayal, too, which is a little yeah, more shiny, yeah. a little more smart. Like his hair, his more, hair yeah. is never messed up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. His suit never oh. really gets dirty. I love it. Yeah. A lot of people say that they think that the intro to Spectre is like the best intro to any Bond movie ever. I the think Goldeneye is. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, the day of the day people say that in the helicopter and stuff. I think that Goldeneye has the best intro for any Bond movie ever. It's also, the entire the dam, the facility sequence and then the runway. Yeah. That that it's all fantastic. It starts off with him jumping like that uh that bungee jump, you know, yeah. off of the mm-hmm. side of the dam. Also, Famke Jensen is the best Bond girl ever. Easy. You know, I'll, I'll fight anyone who says otherwise. I, yeah. I was going to say Ava Green, but Famke's all right, too. Yeah. That would be another uh, list completely. Just break the Bond girls. Yeah. That's, I, I was I was about to list mine, and you know what? That's just not what we're doing here. So okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll move on. We'll move on. Uh, yeah. Anything else? Love it. No, I no, love it, Golden too. Eye's great. The video game is great. It's awesome, and we already said. You know what? It's it's the best. It's one of the best first person shooters. But man, I cannot stand the Nintendo sixty four controller. <laughs> and that's the last thing I'll say. All right. So regarding Golden, so Eye. I think so. We're all at we're we're at number one. Number correct? ones, yeah, because we already got yeah. Anders number two. So um, I have a sneaking suspicion we all are in I think, agreement. On I think this probably one. Skyfall is mine since I'm Skyfall. going next. Yeah, there you go. Skyfall. Uh, Skyfall is a unanimous number one. Um, I it's just it's the best made film of the Bond series. Like this is it looks this is, gorgeous. This is a film that just stands out. Now I remember my one negative for this movie. I really believe it was my only negative for this movie was that it knows it's so gorgeous and spends a little bit too much time wallowing in how gorgeous it is. Like, you know, it's Roger Deakins, man. That yeah. guy, I'm so glad he finally won a couple of Oscars because at this point in his career in 2012, he had not yet been recognized for a, a, a career of beautiful mm-hmm. cinematography. And some of the shots in this sequence, especially at the Skyfall mansion at the end, mm-hmm. backlit by fire oh. and flames. Or the sequence where it bonds in a fist fight with like a flashy billboard through the glass oh. and everything's sort of silhouetted in color. It looks phenomenal. Yeah. And I, I honestly didn't think a Bond movie could look, uh, you know, like every frame of painting, but it, it is so nice to look at. It is. And every and everything else in this movie works too. It's not like it's just beautiful. Like, you know, the, yeah. the plot works, the tension works. Um, yeah. So they the introduce surprises. some emotional stakes, mm-hmm. and they actually like this is actually important because we know Judy Dench, mm-hmm. and it's important to us that she survives. And it wasn't just like, oh, this is another world ending. This is something we actually care yeah. about with no, a character we've been invested in for a couple decades. Yep. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Skyfall. Uh, by the way, uh, Javier Bardem is the best Bond villain ever. Um, He's very good. But. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting because it's all of our favorite, but it's one of the few Bond movies where there is no big bad world ending thing. It's personal, mm-hmm. right? You know, and I think that's par- part of the reason why it works is because otherwise, like, what's his connection to it? In the Spy yeah. Who Loved Me, what's his name wants to just sink the world underwater, and it's like, okay, I get that that would affect Bond because if he, he like fish real estate on the coast, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, this one it, it works because it's way more personal. Yeah, uh, and yeah. also I have to say I feel like Adele's theme is probably one of the best uh, well, title songs in the franchise as well. It's the only Oscar a Bond film has ever won. Yeah, that that is true. I really like. I think it might be my favorite. It might be my favorite. Song. I really like this new one. Is that Billie Eilish that did the new one? Yep. Yeah, I, yeah, I, that's I really also, like that's it. Really, um, Daniel Craig has had very very good Bond themes. You know mm-hmm. my name by Chris Cornell mm-hmm. is probably my second favorite. And another way to die by uh, the white, uh, the white keys, black keys, black white stripes, white stripes. I was going to get there eventually. Uh, <laughs> is also fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I forget, I forget whatever they did for Spectre. I think it was Sam Smith, and that wasn't as good. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, there you go. Skyfall, unanimous number one. Uh, has that happened before with the three of us? Uh, I, I'm sure it has. It, I don't remember. Yeah. I couldn't tell you the specifics, but uh, it seems like someone should it's keep happening. track. Someone, someone <laughs> set up a Google Sheets or a Wiki, a fan wiki <laughs> for the Sift Pop, Sift Sorts, and the rankings and the best ever challenges. Yeah, yeah, some sort of Sift but, Pop I mean, story. There's, there's, there's a reason I got the the poster in my office here. Uh, it is of of one of my favorite franchises, my favorite film of my one of my favorite franchises. Yeah. So, if you would like to apply for the position of Sifstorian, uh, hmm. then uh, then feel like free. Sifstorian, uh, you just come up with that. That was that was good. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, pretty much, like you just that. put Sift at the beginning of anything, and uh, yep. t- it can work. Uh, all right, let's move on to our buried treasure for the week. Um, this will be the one thing in any area of pop culture you want to make sure people know about. Uh, John, you're our guest, so you will go last. Uh, Andrew, why don't you kick us off with your journey through the years of your life? Oh, that's right, Aaron. We're going to go all the way back to the year 1989. George Bush 1.0 becomes president. The Berlin Wall falls down. The Exxon Valdez didn't see the biggest state in the Union floating in front of it. I turned three years old, and a little ditty of a movie was released called Born on the Fourth of July. Oliver Stone and Tom Cruise. Uh, Yeah, you know, after watching uh, this latest Bond movie, I needed something with a little bit of lightheartedness, you know, just to kind of... (laughs) So... You've been picking some like real doozies, man. As I was gonna say, this, I this is no very idea. famously not a uplifting film. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. I really didn't, and I should have known because as soon as I saw Oliver Stone, I was like, "Yeah, yeah." But uh, wow, Tom Cruise. Let's just say that right, uh, mm-hmm. right up front. People forget yeah. that like he is legitimately a fantastic actor. Yeah, uh, and when he doesn't commit himself to motorcycle helicopter jumps, he commits himself <laughs> to doing. Uh, you know, you know, uh, you know, traumatic vet roles, and he's yeah. really good at that too. Yeah. yeah, I'm gonna. Unfortunately, I'm gonna rush through this because I gotta, I gotta get out of here uh, uh-huh. after I, I'm done. Sorry, guys. Okay, no but, worries. Uh, We've gone long. Yeah, uh, yeah. We'll we'll, ha- we'll uh, handle the spoilers uh, for you. Yeah, so, yeah. You you know how I'll feel. So, uh, <laughs> but um, uh, one thing I will say about Born on the Fourth of July is actually a negative. By the way, I did really like this movie. Um, is that the uh. The transitions through his life were a bit jarring. Like it, it didn't seem like it was, you know, like a. And when I say transitions through his life, I don't mean aging, which kind of was confusing. I didn't know where he was, you know, age wise throughout this movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, I didn't see him go from, you know, being, you know, a vet and being proud of being a vet. You know, I didn't see. I didn't feel like the uh, the transition to from that to becoming an activist was earned. Like it was a really uh, interesting because he would just go from like a, yeah, I'm proud to be a vet, but then like it would jump forward in time and he was questioning it and then it would jump forward in time again to where he was against the war. And then it would jump forward in time again to where he was a big act, act activist against the war, but it didn't see any, like a, there was no scene where he was like a, uh, talking to a protester or anything. He was like, oh, you know what? That does make sense. We shouldn't have been over there. Oh, the communist uh, r- regime and everything. It was, oh, we shouldn't have been over there. It didn't feel like that part was earned, but performances alone carry this movie, and it is so compelling and heartbreaking and rough. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah. 
that's my bird treasure. I, I, think, and, I think it's up there with with Deer Hunter uh, and Rambo. Uh, yeah, First Blood. First Blood. As some as some of like the really preeminent like post Vietnam reactionary yeah. films that like if you have an opinion on the Vietnam War, I feel like those trio of films are like required viewing for sure. Yeah. yeah. And they all came out within the span of a few years, between seventy nine and eighty five or so. Yeah. Or you said this is eighty nine. Actually, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Eighty nine is when this one yeah. came out. But they were all roughly around that same time, so, yeah. All right, nice. guys, that was my bear treasure, and I got to head on out. But, uh, John, always great to see you. Bye, everybody. I'll see you guys next time. See you, Andrew. See you. Uh, so for my buried treasure, I'm going to go with another feel-good story uh, from 1983, <laughs> I think. Um, this is Silkwood. Uh, starring Meryl Streep uh, in Cher and Kurt Russell all hanging out together. Uh, this this is so the, cool. this is the story of a nuclear plant that this is a true story based on a true story that was not doing a great job at safety protocols, working with plutonium, all that kind of stuff, and was poisoning their employees. Um, and it's kind of a proto Aaron Brockovich uh, in many ways. Um, and, you know, Meryl Streep is amazing always. And she's amazing here. You've also got not, people. Yeah, not a lot of surprises there. Right. You've also got people like Craig T. Nelson jumping in, David Strathairn, um, Bruce McGill, M.M. Uh, at Walsh, Will Patton, just some, you know, a lot of. It was one of those Fred movies. Ward and Ron Silver. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. What a cast. Uh, so uh, this, I, I didn't really know what to expect going into this other than it was a message movie, a, you know, um, it just kind of one of those important, you need to know this story kind of movies. And that's what it is. And it's really good. It's affecting, it's powerful. Um, there is a, uh, a real trauma here, a real, uh, injustice that if you've got that thing where it's like oh injustice like really bothers you like you're gonna get bothered uh because um i guess it's a true story so it's not necessarily spoiling it i mean you could look it up on wikipedia what happens but let's just say it doesn't all work out uh so um yeah i i mean I, i hate to to give recommendations that are like hey when you want to feel terrible, have I got a movie for you? <laughs> uh, so I won't couch it like that. I will say it's an important, good movie that I think falls under the radar uh, quite a bit. I watched it for the first time, so it's not like I had seen it uh, you know, a long time ago or anything. I, 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 I like that recommendation. Um, and, um, are you familiar with Roger Ebert's um, the, the Walsh Stanton rule? Oh, no. What is this? Uh, Well, Roger Ebert famously said that no movie featuring either Harry Dean Stanton or, in this case, M. Emmett Walsh in a supporting role can be altogether bad. (laughs) That literally he would would give a blanket recommendation to any movie that M. Emmett Walsh appeared in. And I have found, by and large, if I see him in a movie, I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll enjoy it. Because he's just he's just one of those like that guy's like I know this guy yeah and he's just such a familiar face he's such a good character actor so just seeing his name alone like 18th build okay I'll put this on most recently uh, I believe Knives Out uh, in yeah memory. he's still he's still alive and he's still acting like, yeah he's like in his mid 80s now it's yeah. great yeah uh, uh, so I will check that out only on MM at Walsh alone. <laughs> that's all you needed that's all you needed that's all I needed Meryl Streep whatever MM at Walsh there we go. Uh, yeah. I love it. Uh, what do you got for your uh, buried treasure, 
John? So my buried treasure is a little different. I'm going to promote a fun viewing challenge over on Letterboxd called Hooptober. It was started eight years ago by a guy who goes by the name Cinemonster. And this is a viewing challenge, exercise, marathon, whatever you want to call it, for the month of October, a Halloween horror-oriented list where at the beginning of each Halloween season, he drops a bunch of rules. Make sure you watch movies from six different countries, four films from 1981, uh, the worst part two you can find available in any of your streaming services, a movie with King Kong on it, two movies from Hammer Productions, three Asian horror films, and you can make your own list as long as you can kind of slot in and mm -hmm. check those boxes and hit those criteria. Right. And he, he publishes it early and gets like thousands of people on Letterboxd all to make their own list and participate. And it's such a cool uh, communal part of why I love Letterboxd as a social media site. Because every Halloween, every October, everyone gets together and like, what horror movies are you watching this year? Well, this one random guy told everyone we need to go out and watch like this weird black exploitation film. So we're all going to watch it together. And it's kind of like a big version of a book club, mm -hmm. uh, but with horror movies. And I, uh, embarrassed to admit a bit, did not really get into horror until basically my 30s. Like I had avoided almost the entire genre yeah. up until very recently. And I've just been like real, especially thanks to doing Hooptober now for five years in a row, I'm watching 31 movies every year that are sort of outside my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And because of these recommendations, I'm finding and discovering stuff that's like totally way off my radar. Like I'll watch a new horror movie if they come out on Netflix, but like I would not have gone back to like a 1979 movie called Salem's Lot, uh, if not for a recommendation from this guy on, on Letterboxd. So um, I love finding new movies and new things and weird like Italian uh, pr uh, pictures that have like all this weird dubbing and like gross out scenes, but there's something about it like this is different, and I I like different every now and then, and why not in the horror genre because that's really where you can experiment the most. Yeah, nice. Um, it's called it's called Hooptober. It's named for director Tob Hooper, um, and it, you can just give it a Google, and it'll bring you to the letterbox, and you can kind of find out how to make your own list and see if you can get through 31 movies in 31 days. Is it Tob? I always thought it was Toby. I always thought it was Toby Hooper. What did I say? You said Tob? I didn't know if that was I'm, right I, and I was wrong. Tobe? It's probably Tob. I probably just misspoke because okay. I do that. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> listen, I'll get, I'll get don't, comments. I'll don't, get letters. Don't get your horror information no, it is, from it this is, guy. But No, uh, it is. It's Tobe, Tobe Hooper. Okay. All right. The first the first O is different from the, the hoop and the hob. It's... Yeah, it's <laughs> well, there you a, go. A, uh, Hooptober is on Letterboxd. Silkwood um, is for rent. A in, movie. <laughs> Born on fourth of the 4th of July is also available for rental. Uh, we did it, guys. We did a podcast. Congratulations to all those involved. Please put it on your resume. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Sif Pop is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about other shows on the network at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. Huge thanks to Andrew for hanging out uh, on the show again today. Love you, buddy. Uh, huge thanks to producer Phil for producing the audio and video show. Thank you, Phil. Thanks, Phil. Uh, big thanks to Drew for doing the visuals for the show. Big clap. And thank you to Jonathan Paula for hanging out with us again today. Jonathan, uh, where do you want to send people? Uh, I will send folks to my letterbox page because I think I was just talking about that. Might as well send them over there. I hope to review some of these movies, these horror films. 
Uh, and this year, because I moved to a new house, I picked a lot of haunted house-related pictures. Oh, fun. So, I, and, and the house I bought also happens to be 126 years old, so there's a good chance it might actually be haunted. Nice. That's always yeah. a wonderful thing. Why not? Why not? My wife, my wife has forbade me from watching any of these in her presence. But I will be Don't alone on the couch. Do not blame her. <laughs> uh, much love and gratitude to our Sif Pop members. You guys are the best. Thank you so much for supporting what goes on here. Three bucks a month is where it starts. Lots of different levels. Lots of different fun thank yous that we send your way, including a bonus uh, podcast every week um, with a different topic, as well as ad-free podcasts for some levels, hangouts at different levels, all sorts of fun stuff. You can check it out at patreon.com slash Pop. Lots of ways to connect with us. Feel free to comment, rate, or leave a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And you can email us, feedback at sifpop.com. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like it too, so let them know about it and that listening is much easier than sneaking a bionic eyeball into a high-security prison. We will be back next week with The Last Duel and Halloween Kills. Uh, So join us then. See you then. Bye. 